how's it going tonight, everybody? We are Run The Real, featuring Mike, Terry, Fox, and Dan. And we are back with another hopefully great review. What? what? Hold on. Hopefully. He's done it again. Again. I'll keep you on your toes with that hopefully great review. <laughs> As if we've ever had a not great review. Yeah. <laughs> we are back again and we watched a movie we did what a <laughs> twist we thought we'd change it up i wasn't sure if we were going to this time but we managed <laughs> we did it hopefully so this is the finale to our anime um series movies which is our first one dan picked akira and then fox picked red line and then i picked perfect blue so perfect blue was released in 1997 it was directed by Satoshi Khan, and on IMDb it has a 7.9 out of 10. On Rotten Tomatoes it has a 77% tomato meter and 88% audience score. I was trying to think, how am I going to like summarize this movie? It's an anime psychological thriller that follows a retired pop singer who's going into an actress role named Mima. There's some weird stuff happening to her. She's kind of getting stalked by what appears to be an obsessed fan who is writing an online blog acting as if he or she is Mima. And things spiral from there. <laughs> they do spiral, that's for sure. I don't know how we're really going to talk about this without spoiling it, so I would just say spoilers from here on out if you guys are cool with that. I think we spoil all the movies anyway, so it's fine. So, spoiler warning. This time we warned you, so just be thankful, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> no surprise spoiler this time. <laughs> but uh, what did you guys think of Perfect Blue? Yeah, I don't know. I've, I've never heard of this movie at all. I did not know what to expect going in, and man, it's a wild ride. You know who did hear of this movie, though? Who? Miley Cyrus. Wait, what? <laughs> Why is that? She had to get rid of her Disney princess image, so she took some cues from this movie. <laughs> oh, I don't think you're wrong. I guess. <laughs> I can't tell if he's serious or not. It's a joke. Come on, guys. This is funny stuff. <laughs> oh. oh. I was like, really? Whoa. That's so deep. We need, like, title cards. <laughs> Fox, last week you were talking about the music and how uh, you wanted some more pop songs. What do you feel about the music <laughs> in this one? You know, it did scratch that itch, especially the credit song, man. That was some some good old classic 90s city pop. Man, that credit song is so out of place. I mean, I guess it makes sense in there, but it's so out of place. <laughs> I, I, I did like the pop songs when they came up, especially whenever it blatantly wasn't the like main voice actress's voice singing. Going off the music, I really liked when the music got intense in this one, when she was like getting trippy and freaking out and stuff and it had not like a choir necessarily not like akira choir but it had some i don't even know how to really explain it it was just so unnerving watching the scene of her getting all trippy not knowing what's happening and then that music in the background yeah it kind of did remind me of akira i was thinking that as i watched it the yeah the choiry sounding stuff the first time her like hallucination clone pops up am i like singing like a little rhymey song or something it reminded me more of that song from 2001, A Space Odyssey. Oh, at the beginning? I'm pretty sure you said that about Akira, too. Every time I watch that movie and that song plays, something weird happens in my house and scares <laughs> the crap out of me. It's unsettling. Especially in this movie, it's very unsettling. We actually had the DVD of it, and it plays that song 
on the menu. We popped it in there, and I was like, oh, boy, this is going to be freaky. <laughs> Let you know what you're in for, dang. Yeah, no joke. <laughs> what a way to yeah ease you into it. So I got to say, I love the story of this movie, but I hated most of the art style of it, oh. especially the character design of everybody except Mima. They just look so dang weird. They look kind of more like cartoonish, I felt like, than like anime-ish in a lot of cases. I don't know, they, they lacked some of those classic anime art tropes, it seemed like. I will say, when we first see the stalker, I was like, that's obviously the bad guy. He is such a weird-looking dude. He just looks creepy. Yeah. Like, almost over the top, like, come on, like, really? Felt a little over the top how creepy that guy looked. I wasn't sure if he was going to be, like, a red herring just because he purposefully looks so weird. It is really over the top. I agree with that. Because every time the camera focuses on him, you're like, oh, I just want to look away from this guy. It's ugh. And I get that that's, like, some of the point, but... Just everybody looks like they had way less time spent on them besides Mima in the drawing stage to me. I don't know if I'd agree with that. I think Fox brought up the good point that no one's drawn like a traditional anime, what you would expect. So everyone's kind of just drawn normally, really, as opposed to what every other anime does, it seems. So I didn't have any problems with the art myself i mean it wasn't major problem for me it was just a little bit and i guess you could get into saying that that is another layer of the movie because mima is supposed to be this knockout gorgeous actress and then she's looking around at all these ugly other people you know <laughs> the whole movie and it adds into the stalker vibe you know because she doesn't know who's doing it she can't pick somebody out of the crowd i guess it also kind of bothered me but i mean we did just come from watching like two celebrations of animation of very high points in the industry for it so that might also be a contributing factor into why i felt like this was so jarring to watch at points i didn't really mind it i thought it looked fine i mean some people looked a little weird but i think the two people i thought looked weird it kind of made sense at the end why they both looked weird because they're like the same person or something i don't know it gets this movie gets kind of crazy yeah that's definitely not what i want to talk about a lot but it was just a point that kind of nagged me while i was watching it just a bit interesting was it just the characters you didn't like or was it like the rest of it too no i liked all the back sets and everything um it was just the characters that i was like man that dude just looks so dang weird why did you draw him like that and i'm not <laughs> talking about the creepy stalker guy because he was supposed to look weird Everybody else looks so damn weird. You know, this is like one of the most psychological thrillers I have ever seen, like with the emphasis on psychological. <laughs> this movie is so crazy, just looking into the mind of Mima and like not knowing what is real and what isn't. It's nuts. I was not expecting such like a layered movie. <laughs> Me neither. I've been thinking about it ever since I watched it, and it's like I just keep finding new layers within layers with more meaning attached to them and it's it's insane <laughs> it's like akira again <laughs> basically it is pretty intense i do love how trippy it gets in the middle to last bit of this movie it just gets super trippy because you see something and you're like oh that's definitely a dream and then the next scene's like wait was that real 
And then you're like, wait, is this scene real? Yeah. <laughs> you're questioning everything you're watching in the last half of this movie, I'd say. Yeah, because you'll get like an answer, you think, and then she'll wake up again and you're like, wait, so that wasn't actually the case? And then they'll give you another like glimpse that maybe this is the answer. And then she wakes up again and you're like, hold on. <laughs> is none of this actually the case? I don't understand. Or it's a scene from the show she's in, too. Yeah, yeah. Or is she? Who knows? Yeah. I think uh, David Fincher in particular really likes this movie. <laughs> oh, I bet. Yeah, I could see that. I think all of, almost all of his movies are ripoff of this one, but I'm also not a huge David Fincher fan. Oh. Kind of following on what you were saying, Mike, I think this movie does the best job of representing a character going slowly insane. Like, I haven't seen a movie do it better than this movie does. Just with how she's always questioning reality or if she was the person who killed someone. And then it switches and you think, oh, it was part of the TV show. And then it gives you something else and you think maybe not. And then it throws in another character in there and it's you can't keep track of what's going on at all. And it's a perfect representation of the main character and what she's going through with her identity change and the problems she's having adjusting to all that too is excellently done i can't think of anything that did it better than this yeah i like how it's just kind of like so subtle and all of a sudden you realize you're just like whoa you're in the rabbit hole this is crazy it's such a good yeah transition from yeah normalcy to insanity like there was a moment there like when you felt yourself fall down the rabbit hole i felt like two-thirds the way through it just kicks on some creepy music and you realize how long you've been down in there i would say the best psychological thriller i think that comes close to this one in terms of questioning what you're seeing and everything is shutter island because with that one you know you kind of don't know what's going on that whole time you're watching it and the end doesn't you know lean one way or the other you hit the nail on the head there mike because shutter island minor spoiler alert uh, go watch that if you haven't seen it too shutter island has three possible outcomes at the end of the movie and every single one of those outcomes work 100 percent with the rest of the movie and it's so perfectly crafted it's it's insane. I don't know how they how they could pull it off. So this movie does the exact same thing, except it did it first, of course. And <laughs> it's it's great. Shutter Island's a really close second to this one, I think. But this one it puts you in the shoes of the person as they're going through it a lot better, I think, than Shutter Island did. Yeah, that's true. Something I like about Perfect Blue as well is because. It's going through this anime format. You can have scenes like where Mima's ghost character is hopping around and she's following her and doing all that stuff where that wouldn't, I think, translate as well to a movie like Shutter Island just because of the the medium it's going through where that's live action. You know, that would be kind of weird if little ghost Leonardo DiCaprio started jumping around. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Can we get a live action remake with Leo DiCaprio as Mima? (laughs) I mean, with that one, they, they get their point across through like flashbacks and stuff. But with 
Perfect. Blue, you're watching what you think is real time, what's happening and what she's seeing in real time. And it's a hallucination. You know, it's a hallucination. Or do you know it's a hallucination? Yeah. (laughs) Is it really? It's hard to know after the second bad guy is revealed if all that she was seeing was a hallucination or if part of it was. Well, let's talk about that, Dan. Tell me what you think. What I think happened in this movie? Yeah. What do you think happened? Oh, boy. So Mima is this really like innocent pop idol, and she wants to get out of the pop career and go into acting. But she wants to be or needs to be taken seriously and needs to get her image changed, right? And so to do that, she, how how to put it, not involuntarily signs up to do some pretty risque stuff in her TV career and photo shoots that she doesn't necessarily want to do, right? But she does it anyways. And the trauma of all that is affecting her mental state and she's slowly losing her mind over it. And then you add in that there's a stalker who's running a website about her that's trying to keep the pop idol image of Mima alive because the stalker's like obsessed with that image of Mima, which isn't really her anymore. And then that just escalates and it twists in on top of each other and it's nuts. And then at the very end, it's revealed that Mima's talent agent, Rumi, is actually another obsessed fan with Mima from her pop star days. And she turns out to be the one who is orchestrating this other stalker guy who was running the fan website. And she tries to get him to kill Mima which doesn't work, and Mima kills him, not on purpose, but in self-defense. And then when that fails, Rumi takes her back to her, like, fake setup of Mima's room, which was extremely creepy and really freaked me out when (laughs) she got in there and realized that it wasn't her place. And then Rumi steps out dressed up like Mima was when she was a pop star. She tries to kill her, basically, because she wants to be Mima. And then I think what happened at the end is that Rumi, I should say, obviously gets hurt pretty bad (laughs) during their big chase and fight or whatnot. I'm pretty sure that Rumi ends up going into an insane asylum and Mima ends up coming to terms with her new image and everything, and then everything's okay. That's what I think happened, but I could be very wrong, too, because I'm not I'm not 100% sure that's right. I'm with you, Dan. That's pretty much what I thought. This movie, I've been trying to think of different like theories you could come up with this one, but I kind of like that it doesn't have that ambiguity at the end there, because it seems like every psychological thriller you watch they all end with this big bam are they still insane are they asleep are they dead you know it it seems like every movie that's in the psychological thriller genre seems to think they need to end with that big gotcha one last time so i like that this one doesn't have that but i mean 
I'm open to hearing if there's maybe something there. I feel like the journey on the way to the end might have some points that are left a little ambiguous. So all the murders that happen, and like the the envelope attempt on Mima's life, not or whatever. Like she has a really vivid flash of somebody murdering her agent, and I do wonder how she would have such a vivid flash of that happening exactly as it happened. Yeah, there is that one where the pizza guy like stabs somebody too, and then she finds the pizza like outfit in her closet covered in blood. But is it that her room or is that the fake room? That's the thing. So for that, I think it might be the fake room because the fishes were alive during that scene when they were dead previously. And that was another giveaway at the very end that how Mima realized she wasn't in her room was because the fishes were alive. But that also could have been part of the TV show, too. And she, like, could have just brought that prop back with her because she's going pretty nuts at that point. Or she could have done it herself because she was going insane. Yeah, it's that one is hard to tell what actually happened. I feel like, this is just my personal theory, that Rumi is drugging her throughout the movie. With like barbiturates, and that's why she keeps like passing out and having these big black spots is because she's being drugged and moved from room to room. It's possible. Yeah, I can see that because she is treating her. She's always there eating with her whenever we see her eating, it seems like. A lot of stuff <laughs> like that could be going on in the background for sure. Well, that's the whole section where it's like you can't really believe anything you're watching, really. You don't know what's real as well while you're watching all that stuff. Like there's occasionally some tells. Like the Dan was saying, the fish. If you can see the fish, you know you know that maybe she's hallucinating if they're alive. Maybe she's in Rumi's room. Or if they're dead, maybe she's in her actual room. But then maybe the ghost girl shows up while she's in there. It's just a wild ride down the rabbit hole, yeah. Like you said earlier, Terry. Yeah, and, you know, I thought that the girl was hopping around like a rabbit kind of too so maybe there's some symbolism there a little bit i loved how they handled her hallucination of herself it's so creepy oh it was creepy and it was done perfectly because it's like whenever she shows up she's all lit up and has deep color palettes used in the design and she's got the high-pitched voice and she floats and hops around like a fairy and it's like representing when she was good and innocent and then the real Mima is all dark and depressed looking and it's usually like got her hair messed up because of rain or something like that is oh they handled that so well but then at the end too you don't know if that was always a hallucination or if she was seeing Rumi doing stuff to her at the same time too so it's <laughs> it's crazy <laughs> it could go either way yeah something i wanted to talk about a bit was you get a lot of psychological thrillers and books and stuff because it's a lot easier to get your story across in that medium i think because you can read the inner thoughts and stuff but this one did a great job of doing it in a movie because it kind of felt like I was maybe reading an actual manga of this while I was watching it just because of how well they were presenting um, her journey into insanity. Well, this is a novel. Is it really? Yeah, this is the movie adaptation of a novel. Oh, really? Well, they did a good job. Yeah, it is a very like internal movie. It's all about Mima and her thoughts and how she develops. Yeah, I really like the, the setup. 
we just went on a big long road trip and listened to a, a mystery thriller that we hoped would be good, but it actually turned out to suck a lot because <laughs> <laughs> the mystery and the buildup just wasn't there. Like we kept waiting for that moment when you realize how deep the rabbit hole goes to like pop up and be like, oh, crazy, but it never came. It was just the butler, wasn't it? Yeah, it was literally just the most obvious person. So for like the first 30% of this movie, I was sitting there like, oh crap, like here we go again, another one that I'm getting my hopes up for. And it's just not doing anything. And then I can't think of exactly where the moment was, but there was a moment when I was like, oh my God, like was the last like 20 minutes real? Like what just happened there? It hits you like it hits the character. She doesn't realize she's going insane. And then you don't realize when things have started being a little strange and out of place until it's already been happening for a bit. I honestly think that psychological thrillers are one of the hardest things to pull off. Well, you have to make them question, hey, is this real? What's going on here? Because if you look in uh, like old movies, Alfred Hitchcock was great at it. And he was like the pioneer for the genre, I, I would say, you know, psychological thrillers and movies. There's a bunch of them that try to do it, I think. But like we were saying, the only thing that really stands up to this would probably be like Shutter Island. I would say Vertigo, too, but I don't know if you guys have seen Vertigo. Uh-uh. I haven't. I haven't seen it yet. I own it. I haven't watched it yet, though. Any Alfred Hitchcock, I would say, could stand up to this, too, pretty much. Well, not any, but a lot of them. Vertigo, I think, is really good as well. Yeah, it is tough, I think, because if it's bad or even just, like, mediocre, it just kind of ruins everything about it, I think, you know? Because you expect such, like, crazy twists and turns with a psychological thriller, and if it's not giving that to you, then... It's a huge letdown, kind of like what Fox was saying. Like, oh, it's just like, if they can't pull off something crazy or something amazing, then it's just like, it just is suddenly disappointing, I feel like. I would say, look at M. Night Shyamalan. He's a big, you know, thriller guy. I guess you could say some of his movies are psychological thriller. Sixth Sense, probably, yes, but the rest, I don't know. Every single one of his movies, he tries to hit you with that gotcha at the end, you know? He makes good movies. I do enjoy his movies, but would I say any of his movies are like on the level of Shutter Island and Perfect Blue for a psychological thriller? No. Sixth Sense is pretty awesome. Sixth Sense is really good. I like Signs quite a bit, too, but that's a big debate amongst Shyamalan fans, (laughs) whether that one's good or not. Signs is creepy if you watch it at the right age. Oh, it holds up pretty good. I showed it to my fiance the other day, and it was pretty good still. I would say he's the big dude trying to do, you know, psychological thrillers still is Shyamalan, or at least psychological movies in general. Because I just Googled it here, and pretty much uh, we have... Memento, Shutter Island, Sixth Sense, um, Seven, Vertigo, Prisoners, Fight Club, Donnie Darko. But like a lot of these movies are from 2000 to like 2010. Yeah, <laughs> that was kind of the time. A lot of them are David Fincher films too. Like occasionally he gets a good one out, but I think striking the balance is part of what makes it hard to do. Because I'll, I'll just come out and say that I hate Fight Club. Oh, okay. Wow, all right. Uh, but he's got good movies, too. Like, Seven's really good. Zodiac's really good, too. So, not exactly the same vein as Perfect Blue, but they're still really good. But, but as you can see, he's got two really good ones. And then he's got, like, Fight Club and Gone Girl, which aren't that great. 
either. I did like Gone Girl. It is all right, but I guess the point I'm trying to make is even when you've got a director who's making a whole bunch of this style of film, it's so hard to do that it doesn't always work every time you do it. Yeah. I just Googled, you know, psychological thrillers here, and this the first site with the link that came up, their number one choice is Silence of the Lambs. Ah, that's not a psych. It is. It definitely is. I mean, it kind of is. I think the psychological thriller genre is hard to classify. Yeah, it's hard to pin down. You know, after seeing Perfect Blue, I think I know what I would consider to be a psychological thriller. Because this movie messes with you and makes you question everything you see after a certain point in it. I haven't seen a movie like that before, you know? Not to this extent. Does it need to be like a deep character, you know, like just getting to know a character going through changes, or does a psychological thriller have to have mind-blowing, reality-bending plots? I mean, that's that's where it's tricky. That's the big difference between something like Perfect Blue and Fight Club compared to like Silence of the Lambs and Seven and Gone Girl. Yeah, where it's just like a character study almost a little bit, you know, where it's like, we're just going to focus on this character who goes through some pretty psychologically damaging stuff and see how he turns out at the end. That's a good point, TV. It seems like all the best ones wind up being character studies. It's tricky. I agree. It's tricky to classify. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, this one is for sure a psychological thriller. Like like I said earlier, it's an emphasis on the psychological for sure. Like this is all in on it. So there's no question about it for sure with this one. And it doesn't hold your hand any. So I, I've, <laughs> I'm throwing out a lot of David Fincher hate at the moment. And I don't mean to you because I, I really like some of his movies. And I like what he does, but just for comparison purposes, right? Perfect Blue doesn't hold your hand, and it treats you as a smart individual. The audience members are smart. They can put the pieces together without us holding their hand. Whereas Fight Club, it preaches to you the entire movie all the way through what it's doing, basically. And then it just compounds on it sitting there watching it's like you're at a lecture kind of right and then seven at the very end well not just the very end they hold your hand all the way through it. it's like leading a, a baby across the street whereas this one it just throws you in there and it doesn't hold your hand it doesn't preach to you what it's trying to do it trusts that the audience is smart and can figure things out for themselves, which is something that doesn't happen very often. And I really, really like it when a movie <laughs> trusts the audience. Well, that's kind of what you were saying, wasn't it, TV? That like, you know, how do you compare like a character study like this to like a, a whodunit mystery like Seven? After watching this, it seems like there should be a distinction now between like psychological mysteries and psychological thrillers. Yeah, maybe that might help things. I don't know. You know, and I, I agree with you, Dan, like we spoke about Alfred Hitchcock a little bit and I love the movie Psycho, but at the very end of that movie, he totally like just expedition dump <laughs> or exposition. Yep. He doesn't ruin it, but like it really hurts the movie because he just proceeds to explain everything about that movie to you in the last like five minutes. 
We all got that already. We didn't need you to tell us what was happening. Man, it was the 60s. We didn't have all these movies we have now. Yeah, I know. Well, and it's Alfred Hitchcock. Nobody could ever be as smart and intelligent and brilliant and witty as Alfred Hitchcock. (laughs) That does sound like Alfred Hitchcock. (laughs) Yes, it does. Just in that movie, like right when he finds the, the skeleton and you're good to go. Yep, exactly. I've just been Googling psychological thrillers here. It's kind of interesting what some people consider them like ex machina's on here green rooms on here green room that's not a psychological thriller that's like a a slasher get out of the scary place movie (laughs) (laughs) my favorite genre yes (laughs) i love those movies (laughs) it seems like people they watch the movie and if it has any kind of twist messes with you a little bit they're like up psychological thriller throw it in there but you know, I'm seeing a lot of Denis Villeneuve's Enemy on here. And I really want to watch that movie. I do, too. Because I love Denis Villeneuve. I will preach. <laughs> I have never seen a Denis Villeneuve film that's not a masterpiece, in my opinion. It's true. They're all excellent. That dude is amazing. The Enemy is definitely a psychological thriller. I still got to see that one. Let's watch it for our next movie. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it. Maybe if we found our next genre. Denis Villeneuve films. <laughs> Ooh, I love this. <laughs> wow, oddly specific. Let's, I guess, let's bring it back to Perfect Blue. Does anybody have something <laughs> we haven't talked about? Perfect Blue. I've got maybe a small complaint. It's very slight. I thought it was kind of lame how Rumi got defeated by falling over glass on accident. I thought it would have been a lot more satisfying if Mima herself had like stabbed her with a piece of glass or something. I don't know, it just would have made it a little more of a better arc. Like her stabbing her old self and finally deciding to be rid of what she was or something. I don't know, it felt a little cheap that she just tripped and stabbed herself. I agree with you. I don't necessarily think it would be better, but I do 100% agree that the symbolism of that would have been really good in the film. But I don't think she trips in that part. I'm pretty sure that she purposefully impales herself on that glass because she wants to get that wig, right? Because she's so obsessed with Mima and wants to become Mima that whenever she didn't have that wig on, she would just freak out because she was losing her ideal self, essentially. So she was willing to basically kill herself in that scene to become the embodiment of what Mima was. So that's why I don't have a problem with it and think it works. It works good for Rumi's character, but Rumi's not the focus of the film. I don't know. I thought she was reaching for the wig to grab it, and she just happened to not notice the glass. That's what I took from it. That's kind of how I felt too, TV. I mean, it's still the same thing. This wig is so important to me. I need to have this wig on that she's so focused on that and doesn't realize that she's killing herself in the process. I can see it going both ways. I think for a character arc, yeah, it would have been interesting, but I think that's very much for like a Western film kind of character arc is you have to you know, defeat your old self and accept who you are now. I thought it was kind of interesting to see how a Japanese take on that would have been and how it is in this movie. But I can definitely see it both ways. I just think maybe me theorizing a bit is Western films are more about that kind of aspect where it's like, you need to accept who you are now and defeat who you were before or get over it or something, you know, where she was more concerned about her friend Rumi, you know, than anything else. That was such a good scene, too. 
of her standing in front of the truck and holding her hands up and it sound because of the, like the rain and the truck coming through sounded like applause and then the headlights man that was so good i was like man this is why i love watching movies is for things like this <laughs> yeah that was a really good moment there's there's a lot of good moments like that in this movie too yeah and it's not a long movie this movie's only an hour and 20 minutes it's only 80 minutes long it feels like a long movie though and not in a bad way yeah it gets everything it wants to do in an hour in 20 minutes and that's yeah that's impressive because they do a lot yeah i would say that the editing on this movie is amazing i don't know do you even have editing on an anime movie like i'm sure it happens but i'm sure it's a lot more like intentional or maybe um planned this movie is like tightened down and i don't even know if they were going to cut anything i wouldn't say cut anything from this i think it's perfect It's a testament to how um, good editing and coming in with a good plan, it's like, it's perfect. Perfect blue. Yeah. (laughs) Everything they planned and put into each scene of this film is there for a reason. And yeah, there's nothing you can cut to make it (laughs) any better. It's already perfect as is. Not to throw shade at Redline, but Redline had a bunch of you know, unnecessary <laughs> exposition and crap. So you watch this and you're like, man, everything needs to be there that is there. Just throwing some casual shade. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> That's a stark difference. Now that you bring that up. All right, now. It really puts it in perspective, doesn't it? Well, they're different <laughs> genres, obviously. Redline's got a lot of Got a lot of comedy in it now. Wait, Redline's a psychological thriller. <laughs> <laughs> now hold on here. <laughs> Quick overall presentation before they get a chance to disagree. We don't need to hear any more opinion. <laughs> and I'm done talking to you. <laughs> Give us the scale, Terry. <laughs> <laughs> so our scale goes from burn it. Pass, watch it, or buy it from lowest to highest, and then we all kind of give a little spiel, a little summary of what we think, and we average out our scores at the end, and or at least we try to because sometimes we all have different opinions. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's that's how it usually goes. Is there a twist this week, or am I still first? I mean, you don't usually go first, but this time <laughs> what? we can let you. <laughs> oh, what a twist! Yeah, didn't you know? It's usually Terry. And then you, oof, all right, well, I'll just go. Are you uh, sure you haven't went already? <laughs> the real twist. This review was done five years ago. Oh, get out of here, Shyamalan. You guys are joking, but that's how I felt while watching this movie. Not joking, but it's like, what, did I go already? Did I do that five years ago? You know, it's like you have constant feeling of deja vu, but it's not deja vu while you watch this. It's a weird, like... You can't believe what's going on. It's like, you've seen this, but have you? You know, what's going on here? And I've never watched a movie that's ever made me feel like that while watching it. So I loved it. I had some weird stuff with the art style, but I completely forgive all of that for the story because the story is amazing. So this is a buy it from Mike. 
Yeah, you know, we, we talked about the genre of psychological thriller, and I would definitely say that this movie, for me at least, defines it. And I think in the future, if somebody was like, what's psychological thriller? I'd be like, go watch Perfect Blue, because it really does just exemplify the genre and what psychological thrillers and mysteries can be. And the editing is phenomenal. I too felt weird about the art style, though, so there is that. I think in the context of our show, though, I'm going to have to give it a watch it. You know, I know that I'm going to watch it again, but I'm not sure I'm going to watch it often. I think because of that art style, to be honest, is why. So yeah, I'll watch it from Fox. Yeah, I really like this movie a lot. I think it really is like the perfect movie about identity crisis and kind of how you can doubt yourself and who are you really, that kind of thing. It, it, it delves really deep into that, and I really enjoyed it. Uh, I had that one complaint. It's very minor about the end. I think it could have been done just slightly better, but I think the director's vision here is super clear, and it's a really interesting movie. I'd never heard of it before, and I am very glad I watched it. I'm glad I've heard of it now. I'm going to give it a buy as well, I think. It might be my favorite one that we've watched for the series, actually. Nice. So... I don't know what Mike and Fox are talking about with the art style (laughs) in this movie. I had no problems with it, and I really liked how they used the drab, washed-out colors compared to the bright, cheery colors for Mima's character in particular. That was really well done. The music, when it's there, is good and unsettling when they play that one track. The story is... Probably, I'd say, the best psychological thriller story I've ever seen. And I think this is probably the best psychological thriller in general that I've ever seen. I mean, it tackles perfectly this character going slowly insane as she's losing her mind because she can't deal with all these choices and things being thrust upon her. Whether she's chosen to do it or not, because that's another big aspect that we didn't really touch on. There's so many layers to everything. It's it's great. It doesn't hold your hand or preach to you. It just lays it all out there. It trusts the audience to get what's going on and figure things out for themselves. It's <laughs> It's just really good. I can't think of a psychological thriller that's better than this one. I can only think of one other movie that I would call perfect, meaning that there's nothing you can like cut out to make it any better than what it already is, and everything's great in it, and that's 12 Angry Men. I think I've finally found another movie that I would consider a perfect movie by all accounts, and ah. that's Perfect Blue, so... I'm going to give this a buy it for sure. <laughs> I'll buy a second copy to <laughs> refer because Fox isn't buying it. <laughs> Dan, didn't you say Whiplash was perfect too? Oh, I forgot about that one. Oh man, that's hard. I'd have to watch that one again. Maybe we'll have a genre. Movies Dan thinks is perfect. Well, we'll be watching Perfect Blue and 12 Angry Men. (laughs) Anyway, that's a buy it, right? We had three buy it's and a watch it. That was all buy it's for this category from Dan. Good job picking movies this time. This was great. This was a good round. For the most part, yeah. Yeah. Run the reel certified as a buy it. Watch this movie, audience, and tell us what you think happened so we can discuss it. Oh, please. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, what do we want to do for next week? Well, we were uh, discussing 
and we were talking about psychological thrillers this whole episode, so we're going to keep the ball rolling. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I'm going to pick my boy's movie, Enemy, by Denis yeah. Villeneuve. I love Denis Villeneuve. I love Denis Villeneuve. I'll scream. <laughs> Please don't scream in the mic. No. I may be after I watch Enemy. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see what you think about this one. This is the only one you haven't seen, you said? This is the only one I haven't seen, and I know that it, at least on IMDb and Rotten Tomatoes, I think it's his lowest rated one, but this was his first like movie he did himself. It's definitely going to be a good discussion piece, I think, nice. if anything. Yeah, Terry bought this movie for my birthday a while ago, and I haven't got around to watching it yet. He's always talking about how much he loves Denis Villeneuve, but he's always like, except for Enemy. I haven't seen Enemy. And so then I was like, you know what? I'm going to buy it for him, so he has to watch this stinking movie. <laughs> Maybe he just wants to be Denis Villeneuve. Ooh. All right, I don't have like a blog where I pretend to be Denis Villeneuve. <laughs> Denis room. <laughs> Man, I know I'm not the only one. If you get on Reddit and you just type Denis Villeneuve in a comment, it's like everybody swarms there and they're like, I love Denis Villeneuve. I know you've seen it. Go look it up. It's a cult. Well, we'll get into that next yes, week. Yes. So this, it'll be a good review. So make sure. Oh, you... what it will be? Not hopefully. Hopefully, <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, man, it's gonna be a good review. Ah, I'm gonna change it. <laughs> when I get on, I'll be like, "This will be a good yeah. review." <laughs> I think I already laid out some love for Denis in one of our early episodes, Prisoners. So. I, I, you bring him up every chance you can, so I think they've heard it. That's <laughs> ah, good. He's good. Yes, it, it's worth bringing him up. Yeah, he's kind of underrated. I think he he shouldn't be because oh my goodness, have you seen Blade Runner twenty forty nine? No, you haven't because that movie bombed at the <laughs> box office and the one of like I think the art company, one of the companies that worked on it went out of business because you guys didn't go watch it. It's a crime, wow. I tell you, a crime. That's not insult. I'm sure all our listeners saw it. <laughs> that movie's so good. It's so good. Dude, I watched it twice and yeah, I bought it. I watched it and was like, this is like next level we love you listeners we don't blame you for anything i was only half joking i was only half joking <laughs> i do not fault you for not going to sit through a three-hour movie that's extremely slow at the theater i do not fault you for that only a little bit <laughs> all right well if you listeners want to let us know about any of our thoughts maybe you have opinions of your own about denis villeneuve did you go see blade runner Prove Dan wrong. <laughs> you can message us on Facebook, on Twitter, at Run the Real, or you can email us at runtherealpodcast at gmail.com. We want to know what you think of all these movies that we've seen. Yes. If you want us to do us any specific movies, please let us know. We would love to have a listener request category or something. That'd be fun. Oh, uh, yeah, that would be good. Yeah. Maybe someday. All right. Cool. Well, thanks for listening to us tonight. We really appreciate it. Be sure to tune in next week to hear me yell my love for Denis Villeneuve. Hopefully. <laughs> Hopefully. All right. This is Run The Real signing off. Mm-hmm.